Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, this is Tim from Focus, and I wanted to give you an update on a reunion show. Uh, I reached out to Jeff from Unashamed, and they said yes. So it will be a double reunion. The two originators of Spirit-Filled Hardcore, April 6th in Orange County, California. There'll be 12 other bands playing that day. And uh, there's going to be a flyer dropping on November 8th that will give you all the details, and I believe the tickets are gonna go on sale November 10th at 9 a.m. So you're gonna to wanna to get these because this is gonna be a big event. Um, both bands, we've got some special surprises, and you're gonna to wanna to see some of the other bands that are playing with us. It's gonna be a great event. Hope to see all those familiar faces out there. Can't wait. April 6th, be there. <laughs> All right, season four, episode 17. We're calling this one Go Vegan for Shelter Farm Sanctuary. I'm Mick, all the way from Parkersburg, West Virginia, with my good friend, Wiley Willis. Yeah, I'm Chicago, Illinois. There you go. Yeah, we got it. (laughs) I'm trying to fight off this, this cold fever chills I'm getting here. There was a time, I don't know if you noticed, there was a time I had to leave the uh yeah interview because i was, I was like, what like, happened dude I'm like my shoulders were shaking uncontrollably like it's weird i get this this really cold chill and then i get really hot mm, it's not gonna be good nope <laughs> <laughs> but you made it through the interview which was really really good yes that is true so it was a good interview it was, it was a good yeah, yeah i'm excited i'm excited for folks to hear it it was weird at first i had i like all interviews that i don't know the people or that i'm like starstruck like, you know, when we do the big hardcore yeah. ones, yeah, it takes me a really long time to ease into it. But still, this was a little awkward at first, so bear with me, you know. But uh, we got into <laughs> it, and I think yeah. it's, I think we started uh, getting really good halfway in. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of good stuff we talked about in this one, so. Yeah. Of course, yeah. It, seeing that we, the name of the, the name of the episodes, Go Vegan, we definitely talk about veganism, so that's good. We talk we about uh, the, the. The sanctuary, which uh, you know, we won't take any thunder from that. We, uh, we want them to be able to share about that. So, yeah, it just a really good. Lot. We learned a lot. We did a, a lot. ton. Yeah, which yeah. is good. Uh, so. A ton, a lot, a ton, a lot, <laughs> a ton, a lot, a lot, a ton, a lot, a lot. Yeah. So. I mean, yeah. Uh, I really want to say it, but I guess you know, 
we can just uh we can just bust in and they can hear what she has to say if you want to do that yeah let's do that because because if we keep because i know how we are we yeah we kind of we'll keep going and then we'll kind of give away the good stuff so we don't want to give away any good stuff so we just cut straight to it yeah let's uh Let's drop uh, Youth of Today uh, no more into this real quick before uh, we get into it. All right. Cool. No more. No more. Coffee and Hardcore Podcast is so honored to have Shelter Farm Sanctuary on this episode. On your social media, you describe your sanctuary as an ethical, vegan, woman-run, um, nonprofit farmed animal sanctuary. You are also located in Arcadia, Florida. Now, all the <laughs> listeners sorry. on our podcast <laughs> know how much we love Florida. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, by the way, let me ask you real quick. How hot is it in Florida right now? Uh, it's really hot. It's, yeah. I don't know, probably in the 90s still. What? It's 101 here in Chicago. Okay. It's well, bad. I don't know. It could be hotter for sure. <laughs> yeah, I would think so. It's um, miserable. You walk outside and you're sweating. So, yeah. you know. Yes, I do know. Swim in your, <laughs> sw- swimming in your clothes. Yeah, uh-huh. that's not cool. Um, but you you shared your story on your social media, and that's what really opened my eyes and, and hooked me to this. Like I was just, was glued to it. I thought what you had to say was super interesting. Um, so why don't you introduce yourself and, uh, let's kick this off. All right. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm Jenny Miller Presley. Um, I am the founder and executive director of shelter farm sanctuary. I, um, 
there are about 85 animals here at shelter, um, oh, wow. all rescued from, you know, slaughter, neglect, abuse, abandonment situations. Um, and I also live here at the sanctuary with my son. Um, and yeah, I ethically vegan, um, is, is something that's important to me. I, as someone who has dealt with a lot of painful things in life, I don't ever want to cause pain, um, if I can help it. So that's, you know, that's the, uh, the ethical part for me is just aligning my actions with, with my general feeling and beliefs and, and things like that. So, um, yes, we are in Florida. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I apologize. No, it's, it's, I never, I never expected to live in Florida. Um, I was married to someone who worked on boats. And so this was a logical place. I've lived here since. 2006 um there is still time to get out yes there is (laughs) (laughs) well not not really because you have the sanctuary so right someday i will get out but i'm sure the animals make it worthwhile they do yeah (laughs) mick why don't you get into it why don't you kick off with our first question yeah first real question first real question um so uh uh, part of your story is that you you grew up in like the skateboard culture and, and the straight edge hardcore scene uh, and mm-hmm. that kind of followed right behind it. Um, what is, what was life like that in a young age being inspired or, or and in love with skateboarding? Um, so I grew up in a little town called Inglewood, Ohio, and Inglewood is about 20 minutes north of Dayton. OK, um, I. In the mid '90s, um, was lucky enough to to kind of you know I I had a an upbringing that was less than typical and um, was pretty hard and so you know I at a pretty young age was was doing things that I shouldn't have been doing and. Um, and getting into situations that were unsafe and, and all sorts of things like that. So, um, I'm, I met someone, uh, who became my partner who was still is, um, one of the best and nicest and kindest guys I know. Um, and he lived and breathed skateboarding. Um, uh, Dayton is alien workshop territory. So, um, you know, he worked at, Cowskates, which was a big distributor then, and uh, and and all of his friends worked at workshop and and all the shops downtown and and all that kind of stuff. And so, um, wanting to be anywhere but my home, um, I I spent a lot of time in Dayton with him and with our friends and and just kind of like absorbing all of that culture. Um, I, the, the people who were there at the time were really talented and, um, you know, the, the general vibe was just like, just do everything you possibly can to like create, you know? And so it was video and music and art and, and creating with their bodies and, and all of these things. And so I just kind of sucked all of that up. Um, I was 
just learning photography and getting into darkroom work and, and that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, I just, I, having been through painful things, I held a lot of pain that I saw in other people, you know, you kind of recognize your own. (laughs) Um, And so I, I saw these guys, I, I was just talking to somebody about this the other day, I saw these guys, you know, who, who held pain like I did, and who used skateboarding as like a vehicle to kind of shed some of it, you know, they would, they would just completely destroy their bodies and be bleeding <laughs> and tossing boards and you know like just the the build up of fr- frustration um that then you know it, it was all just for this one cathartic moment of the trick you know yeah. <laughs> and then they would just ride away from it and I could see them lighter you know and so for me I was like holy can I cuss? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, Holy shit. Like maybe someday I'll have that, you know, like I was, I'm not coordinated. I couldn't ride a board to save my life. Um, so, but I, I saw it and I had hope, you know? Yeah. That's and a really so, cool thing to take away from that. I like that. Yeah. And, and just like, you know, that there were so many different kinds of people who loved the sport, but also loved each other and were really open and encouraging. And, you know, just like you could be a person in this place and exist and belong. Right. And that's yeah. what everybody's looking for, I think. Yeah. Um, so it's a great answer. <laughs> yeah. It is. So from there, you know, I met, I met a lot of people who were in hardcore and in bands and, and things like that. And, um, in that part of the scene and it was, you know, it was different. There were different, um, levels of, you know, um, there would be the skateboard kids would be at parties and then the, the hardcore kids would be at shows and, you know, they would kind of intermix here and there. Um, there were a couple of clubs in, in Dayton that were like, there was the golf club that was 1470. And then there was the asylum and everybody in courage crew worked at the asylum as bouncers. And so, okay. you know, everybody was, was so there stay away from play there. hardcore shows there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was going to say, say Dayton was like a hotbed for the courage crew in, in the nineties. And I can, I can speak to that. <laughs> um, I spent a lot of time with those guys. Um, yeah. So um at that time it it was like uh 12 tribes was just forming I think I think I met Adam right before 12 tribes kind of became a band I went to high school with some of those guys that were in 12 tribes I went to high school with some guys who were in courage crew the the towns around Dayton are all very small so um you know everybody kind of intermingles in between um and so you know, they were playing shows at like culture and morning again, they were kind of both back and forth from Florida to Ohio and, um, blood has been shed. And, and, and some of those kinds of bands were all kind of, you know, playing around at the same time at the VFW and the Knights of Columbus. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah Knights of, of Columbus. Course, <laughs> yeah. 
And then, of course, Cincinnati was really close by. So Bogart's shows and, and oh, things yeah, like Bogart's. that were the bigger ones. Um, but, yeah, I think, um, I don't know. Do you want to ask another question? I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kind of going. No, no. it's fine. I, I was going to ask if, um, since you were in Inglewood, do you, mm-hmm. did you ever go to Skatetopia in Meigs County? Uh, I, yes, I have been there. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Were you as scared as I was? (laughs) It's wild. It's a wild place. Why is it it wild? It's, it's pure chaos. Like, no, yes, there's, (laughs) there's no place to stand. No. Yeah. No. Skateboards are flying everywhere. What? It's like out in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'll send you. I'll send you a video later. Yes, please. Yeah. I will. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm going to jump then, into. You know, oh, go ahead. There was go, a park go ahead. in Middletown um, that you know a lot of people kind of went back and forth between, and then of course like Dayton. You know there were spots oh, everywhere yeah. that that everybody kind of hung out at. I'm going to jump into this next question. <laughs> okay, do it. Let's do it. <laughs> uh, it sort of ties in with this, I would say. So okay, good. You you bring up in your. Uh, your little speech thing on, I don't know, what what would you what call that? Not, not a speech. What do you call that on like it's your called, comment, right? It's called word vomit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I liked it and it got, it got us all together. So, all right, cool. Um, yeah. So you bring up in your word vomit that yeah. the, uh, <laughs> that the hardcore scene came with a dash of toxic masculinity. Everybody's favorite, right? In the nineties yeah. and early two thousands. Uh, you stated yeah. that women in hardcore and straight edge commonly were considered like, you know, quote unquote, coat racks, more like an accessory to their boyfriends. And I could say I definitely saw that in the 90s. Um, I like I know this sounds like a therapy, like, how does that make you feel? But I really <laughs> want to know how you felt about that being well, you know, I'm, a I'm woman in hardcore. That, yeah, I'm glad that the therapy is coming into this because I think a lot of us are still in therapy about it. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, I so, uh, you know, obviously, uh, that was the era of Courage Crew and of um, there were some other crews um, as well. But uh, that scene um, was very much about. (laughs) I'm trying to find a good way to put this. (laughs) Uh, we can like cut off all my hemming and hawing in between. <laughs> it's um, <all> good. <clears throat> so I, as a kid, I smoked weed and, you know, did some things. I, I drank some and I, you know, did whatever. Um, I had a friend and whose dad kind of supplied us at, you know, 13, 14 with, Mm. with cigarettes and weed and alcohol and whatever else we could possibly want. Um, and that, uh, that household was preferable to my household, which might tell you something. Um, and when, when I started hanging out in Dayton and, and kind of moved away from, from that, um, I, I re- kind of realized that I had never liked smoking weed. I had never liked drinking. It was, I need to have more control over myself than that, just as a human. Yeah. Um, 
And so straight edge, of course, appealed to me because it was a way to be powerful enough to say, oh, I'm part of this thing. I don't, I don't do that. You know, it was like, cause prior to that, it's like, if you don't drink, then like, you know, you get all the stuff, right? <laughs> like, why not? What are you doing? Have a drink, like whatever it is. Yeah. Um, so it appealed to me. I thought it was exciting, um, because of the, the things I saw, um, <laughs> in straight edge and, and I did like, there were a couple of years where I was like, I'm straight edge, you know, like whatever. And, uh, I can't tell you how many times I heard, uh, girls can't be straight edge, straight no. edge for oh girls. For, that's yeah. for real. Oh, that's so many insane. times. So many times. And so wow. it eventually, you know, just became the kind of thing where I was like, well, clearly I don't belong here. Um, you know, I, it, I never called myself straight edge again, even though like, I don't do any of that. Um, but it was, that was the general feeling was, you know, girls, girls don't belong in this. And I began to see that my value was in what I could contribute to another person. Not that I had value just inherently as an, a human of my own. Um, and, you know, we we did. We got called coat racks. We got handed the jackets, you know, while everybody was out picking up change and head stomping. And uh, it was, um, you know, it, it, it kind of felt good because it was like we were we were the girlfriends, but we had like our own, you know, we would talk to each other and like be friends. Um, so it wasn't like we were completely left out, but it was like, I, I can count on one hand, the number of times any of those guys asked me what I was into or what I was learning in school or, you know, who I was as a person. Um, and a lot of that was hierarchical. So within cur I, JC and I dated for probably, we lived together for about two years, but we uh, hung out before that for a year or so. Um, <clears throat> and so I was at a lot of the meetings and a lot of the um, events and things like that. And he was leading those. And so I saw the approach. Um, which was very much, you know, I had, I had friend, I, I have a friend who was, he's super intelligent and really socially conscious and incredibly empathetic and always has been. And being in Courage Crew, that was ridiculed and beaten out of him. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and he's, he's kind of recovered from that. You know, we were just talking the other night about our therapies and, and things like that. Um, but I saw that happen over and over, you know, it was a very, the, the hazing and the, um, you know, the, the intent was to make people strong, right? You know, they, they wanted to make each other strong and have, um, 
in part, you know, good habits and, um, and foster brotherhood and all of that. But the practices were really damaging and affected the way they treated women and affected the way they treated each other. And, um, it was difficult to watch a lot of that. It was difficult to, you know, see kids get the life smacked out of them. And it was difficult to like be in situations that were unsafe because it was, you know, that was the era was like, if you're smoking a cigarette next to me, I'm going to beat you up. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, yeah. it was mm-hmm. Rolanda show era. Like, I don't know if you guys saw that, but um, it was, that was the the general feeling back then. And being in some of those situations was really tough. Um, but it also, you know, I felt like, well, I, I don't really feel like I am comfortable anywhere else. So this seems kind of okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, right. like yeah. I, don't, I don't really have a lot of other people. Um, and I'm, I'm at least respected here in a way that's like, oh, well, that's his lady, you know? So like, make sure she's comfortable and like, leave her alone. Don't talk to her. Cause you know, that's not, that's not allowed, but, um, she looks good sitting over there. Right. <laughs> you know? So it was like, it was like, um, uh, it, it, when you are with someone who's important in a group, you know, it feels like you're important by default i guess right yeah like when i do the podcast with mick i'm important by default exactly (laughs) makes you feel good right makes you feel good to belong (laughs) yeah thank Um, you mick but yeah i was you know i was a girl so i was never um i was never included as a person um it's so rough Well, you know, I mean, I don't necessarily know that I wanted to be more included, you know, and like, there was the hierarchy. So at least like a few people could talk to me and and like, be interested in me and uh, in general, you know. Yeah, it Um, sounds like a like a legit (laughs) gang or like the mafia or something. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah. Yes, there were a lot of those kinds of practices. And um, I will I will say that a lot of things about it were really good for some of those guys because they did come from, you know, places where they didn't have support. They didn't have families that were around. They didn't have, you know, resources. Um, and so obviously they needed someone to be close to and they did have, you know, like kickball games that were fun and and barbecues and like all of that kind of stuff too. But there was also just the undercurrent of violence and the undercurrent of, you know, disrespect if you, if you believed in other things and, um, you know, any, I guess in any organization, it's like there's good and bad, but uh, that's what straight edge became to me. And that made it hard for me to want to like it. And, mm-hmm. and hardcore kind of followed the same way. Yeah. Because they're intertwined and they're all understandably. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. See, because I, I remember like the '90s and show playing shows in Ohio, and mm-hmm. we kind of talked about this last week or on the episode with Ankle because we were talking about shifting from playing shows in Ohio and it eventually moved to Pennsylvania. And one of the main reasons why is because of the courage crew and the whole tough guy mentality. Cause I talked Mm -hmm. a little bit about like Ohio and that area in the Midwest was kind of so tough guy. And we just didn't want to be a part of that. Cause it was so, Mm -hmm. I, I, there were so many friends of ours that we would hear, well, so-and-so broke, broke edge. And so they were all going to show up at the club he worked at to confront him because he broke <laughs> edge. And we're like, what? Like, what? Why would he? This dude's like 20 some years old. Like, what? You're going to show up and beat him up because he broke edge? Like, what is going on? And it just was so like, anytime we would ever play in Ohio, it's like something would all, something stupid would always happen. Or people would show up mad at, uh, Courage Crew would show up mad at us because we, didn't want to associate anymore and i and i get the whole like because of that just toxic nastiness not wanting to be a part of because i didn't want to be like i remember after leaving zeo and then there was a time frame there where i didn't want to listen to anything hardcore just because of the bad taste from it just seemed like out of the 90s there was this whole 2000s era of just tough guy stupidity and I just yeah. didn't want to be a, I didn't want to be associated with it, a part of it. It took a, it took a long time before I started listening to things again because of just the bad taste that was there. So I can yeah. only, I can only imagine, you know, from your perspective, like how that would be. That's completely worse. I didn't have to deal with that end of things. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. uh, at least I was a dude walking in and, you know, there'd be a different level. But yeah, I can't, I can't imagine treat being treated as not basically less than human. Yeah, yeah, and I, I mean, I, I will say, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't a major player in that scene. You know, I was, I was again an accessory. I was um, somebody's girlfriend, and and there were a few girls um, around, but they were girls who, you know, either were with somebody else at some point or were like tough as nails and like just on a level that, you know, me having, having very little, uh, self-confidence and, uh, and just like sense of self in general, like I couldn't even imagine being those girls, you know? Um, and then I, I went to college in Kentucky, um, at UK. And so when I got there, it was, a lot different you know I was like there were there were girls hanging around and like everyone was talking to them and they actually I was like you know who are they with like they didn't belong to anybody it was crazy you know people were just like acting like they were people yeah they were their uh, own people they were their own people you know I, I I um my my friend Stacy was like working for initial records doing like street stuff and and I saw her and this was before I even know her and I was just like oh my god like look at she just like she's not even with anyone you know <laughs> like she's yeah. she's just doing this and like they love her you know what I mean like she was she was friends with 
everyone and you know knew all the bands and and was just like just like a regular girl you know and it was like right. i had no idea that 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 was a possibility um to just be your own self and be a part you know you didn't have to like belong to anyone so i did you know once i got to kentucky i i started to see some different uh some different behavior um in hardcore and in straight edge in general um so that was you know it it didn't necessarily make what me do you mean by them, different behavior um just like you know it was in general a um better a atmosphere more, more inclusive scene you know like it was um it was uh heavy on on veganism and um there were a lot of different kinds of people. It wasn't jock culture and it mm. wasn't, um, you know, everybody was okay to be there. It was, yeah. <laughs> you know, it was crazy fest and like, you know, that kind of stuff where, where How it, it just should felt be. like you were just walking in and like, there were all yeah. your friends, you know, right. Nobody yep. was like getting stabbed. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> For just thinking differently. Yeah. Yeah. That's and that's, crazy. you know, I be going to college and, and kind of like coming into that place in life where you realize that there are like social justice causes that need your attention and, and things like that. Like that was the right place to be, you know, to kind of come into that as well. So, yeah. yeah. Cool. <laughs> Um, I was interested in your story. You talk about um, not wanting to eat animals at a younger age and you would wrestle with your family on those issues. How hard was it at a younger age and what was the struggle like for you in your household? Um, I I think I was probably, you know, six or eight when I was like, oh, wow. I, you know, I don't I don't want to eat this. Um, yeah. And I think working, I'm also a teacher and I work with really young kids. And I think that young kids love animals inherently. And then what we do as a culture is we normalize violence against animals. And so we tell them that, you know, you can love animals and eat them and kill them. Um, and torture them you know we we kind of pass that message down that um, confusing message from, yeah absolutely and um i just i i didn't like meat i didn't like thinking that i was eating something with a face you know i just didn't um i didn't think that was okay and obviously you know there were not when i was a kid there were not options for you know, there were no vegan chicken nuggets at that point. Um, so, you know, I, I was vegetarian ish for most of my life. Um, and, uh, my parents, like my mom would, she understood, you know, she wasn't like, she wasn't oblivious to my points. Um, but I definitely like, you know, had my grandfather telling me that, children in Africa were starving and then I needed to eat my chicken, you know, <laughs> it's like I yep. said, send it to them, you know? <laughs> and so what was, what uh, was that response like? Um, you know, that was, it was silence, <laughs> but 
uh, all of my aunts and uncles were there at the time and were like rejoicing in their heads. You know, they told me later <laughs> that that was like, <laughs> they were like, That's what? Funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it was just, you know, like I just didn't want it. And, uh, I, I went through a lot of different periods of like, I, I didn't, I didn't understand as a woman what the dairy industry means for females of other species for like a ridiculously long time. Like it was, it took me way too long to really fully grasp that the ways that I felt affected as a woman were like the exact ways that these animals are being exploited you know yeah and um so the fully vegan didn't come for me until later on um and part of that was like lifestyle stuff you know you like you live with somebody who eats meat and it's it's hard to to have three different diets and um, and then, you know, I, I made the decision to start the sanctuary and, um, you know, that was kind of the point where I was like, all right, I, I'm all done. You know, I don't, I don't want to ever, I don't want to ever consume anybody, um, or anybody's parts or anybody's anything anymore it's it's unnecessary you know it's just we have so many options now i i remember in college like there would be the one health food store where you could get like a tempeh gross blt and yes like, and the tofu <laughs> cuties and and that or was like, like the, the boca hot dogs that tasted <laughs> like rubber Ugh. yes so much better yeah. now yeah, it was it was hard to hard for me to commit to that. But I did, you know, like I, I went through a lot of periods where I ate pretty vegan and um it it just never it was never a, a fully ethical decision for me until now, you know, moving out here and doing this and, and being with the animals and all of that stuff. Um That's even great. though veganism it was kind of, you know, a part of my life for a long time. Um just relatively so yeah. yeah that's kind of my kind of my journey there <laughs> i like that mick why don't you ask her the next question so uh what was the inspiration to open the shelter <laughs> uh so yeah it's it's i i had been rescuing dogs and working with domestic shelters for a while in saint pete um and had this foster dog named Boyd. Um, and he was the ugliest, most beat down, mangy pile of dog you had ever seen. <laughs> um, fully thought that he was going to just kick off at any moment. Um, sweetest, sweetest dog and had him for a long time. You know, most of my fosters had been quick ones, puppies and, and easily adoptable dogs. And Boyd was not that dog. He was, he looked rough. He looked mean. People, you know, just generally shied away from him. He was even on TV at one point and didn't get adopted. Um, and I just, 
I kind of had this connection with Boyd where it was like, I, I, some animals don't get adopted, you know, some animals don't have a place. And so at the same time, uh, I was seeing, you know, pigs and chickens and goats come into the domestic shelters because they couldn't find any place to go either. Um, and so kind of a discussion of like, what can I do? You know, what can I, what can I do for all the animals over the years that I, that I ate or that I, you know, exploited, uh, through my consumer habits or whatever. I just, uh, it seemed like a way to even out my karma, I think. (laughs) And so we moved out here. I was married at the time and my son and my ex-husband and I moved out here to Arcadia and it's, it's five acres. And then I rent five acres next door. Um, so it's 10 total. And like I said, there's, there are about 85 animals at this point. Um, and it's, you know, goats, sheep, pigs, cows, uh, chickens, ducks, just kind of a mishmash of everything. Eric, the tortoise, he's (laughs) giant, (laughs) um, still have a lot of dogs. (laughs) Um, so yeah, it is, um, is that a picture of Eric on your t-shirts? It is. Yeah. That's Eric. <laughs> That's awesome. Eric is a sulcata tortoise. He's an African sulcata. He, he weighs over 200 pounds. He's a big oh, guy. Wow. wow. He's only about 16 at this point, I think. So he's going to be around long after I will. He'll have to be in my will. How long um, do they live? Like a hundred years. Yeah. <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> yeah. They're like trees. Yeah. He's <laughs> That's a big bulldozer. Um uh you so, should send a picture to me. I want to show my son. He loves turtles. Tortoises, will, turtles. There's a, there's a bunch on Instagram. You can like scroll through yeah. and see the video. There's videos of him eating weird things and <laughs> I was gonna give you props for that. Like your <laughs> Instagram social media game is really strong. Like I love how you show all the animals and all the cool. Are you do you head that up? Like do you take all those photos and everything? Yeah. Good yeah. job. Oh yeah. You're a photographer. You. <laughs> I was. Yeah. Yeah, I was. Yeah. Um, what shows? Yeah. So yeah. Shelter. Um, now for the past two years, I've been running shelter alone and, um, I have a board of directors that is majority female that I love and, um, they help me make some of the bigger decisions. Um, and some of the financial decisions and my, my CPA helps me with the books. And then I have two employees, um, caregivers. I have to work full time to be able to afford to live here and have the property for the animals. You said Um, you're a teacher, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I need, I need people to be here for the animals as well. Um, I have those two paid employees and then everything else is me. Um, so I do all the weekend care. I do the social media. I do fundraising. I do all of the nonprofit end um, of shelter. So 
It's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. And you do the the what you, the Etsy page, right? Yeah, yeah. Everything, all the merch is shipped from here. So you're getting soap that I made or t-shirts that you know my screen printers put together for me. Um, yeah. Now, are you redoing the judge ripoff one? That's my favorite. Uh, <laughs> people <laughs> ask all the time. Uh, I don't know. I have a new one. Uh, I made a, I made a graphic of Pete. He's our, he's my pig who doesn't have a bottom jaw. So his tongue's out. He's kind of oh. crazy looking. Um, so I, I'm Is it as a photo? From, yeah, it's uh it's from a photo, but kind of, you know, designy. Um, okay. so I made a, a graphic for some new shirts, which oh, cool. should nice. be coming along. So yeah, people have been begging me for shirts. I've, I've had a couple of artists that were supposed to do some new art for me and just kind of, kind of fell off. So, uh, I'm trying. Yeah, your designs are really cool. I like them a lot. <laughs> yeah. I, like I mean, the, a lot of, a shirts. lot of those I didn't make, um, a lot of the, so I, I have a hard time because my ex-husband was heavily involved in hardcore and was a part yep. of the sanctuary for the first, you know, two years. And that's so that's how I found out about the sanctuary. Yeah. So me not being straight edge and not being super into hardcore, um, I I often struggle with the support that I receive from the hardcore community. And from, you know, the vegan straight edge community and I, I'm incredibly grateful for it, but I also don't want people to think that like, it's me, you know, I, I don't want them to support, but it is you now, (laughs) but I don't want, I don't want them to support because they're like, Oh, it's a straight edge sanctuary. I'm not. Um, yeah, I know. But look, look, I got into it because of Mike. (laughs) Right. But I kept, you know, kept at it, kept supporting by merch, whatever, like, because of what the sanctuary does it's it's what you do for the animals you know that's huge i don't think it has anything to do with the subculture we didn't ask you on because it was originally rooted in hardcore like like you said behind the scenes like you didn't know if you know if the hardcore podcast was for you and i was like dude we just really want to know about your journey and your story like that's the most important thing to us yeah so i think more people want to hear your story like when you posted your story i think that touches more people than if you post a judge ripoff you know yeah. <laughs> so I think I think that's huge. So good job. Thanks. Keep keep being real. No, for real. Keep being real. A lot yeah. of people aren't real anymore. It's so frustrating. Yeah. This yeah. world is so I, terrible. We're so terrible to each other. I just always want to be clear. You know, I always want want people to know exactly who they're supporting and exactly what they're supporting. And it's it's really important to me to be transparent. And that's why I try to be really honest about how hard this work is and how, you know, I, I think it's going to be over every day. You know, I think the money's going to run out. I think that I'll be just completely exhausted. Like I, you know, emotionally, it's really hard. Physically, it's really hard. Um, And there's a lot of naysayers too, I noticed. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably mentally exhausting. I live in the middle of beef and dairy country and (laughs) FFA and 4-H and, you know, it's really, it's hard to see that kind of stuff every day. You know, people posting in the local groups, how they have pigs for slaughter or, you know, just all the, the, um, 
blatant cruelty that you see living way out in the middle of nowhere um, in Florida <laughs> is yeah. is hard to good deal old with. Florida. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and people people don't necessarily like me out here. You know, it's I I live as a woman. I live here in the middle of you know nobody would hear me scream for sure if somebody decided that that they were oh, don't tired say that of saying <laughs> I guess <laughs> saying that uh that it was wrong to hurt animals you know like people people there are people here who don't like um so you know safety is a concern for me and for my son and things like that that you know that's I, I think that's, that's nuts that's the same yeah. thing as like the straight edge crews attacking people for not drinking and smoking. It's like, <laughs> why can't we just live our lives and do our thing and just, you know, yeah. care for each other as human I mean, beings? I, like, I think it's like when you make your living exploiting animals and somebody says that that's wrong, you know, that threatens your sense of security and your, um, your yeah. sense of values. Right. Because I, I don't believe in those things. And if they don't believe in the things I believe in, then that's a problem here in Florida. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it can be, you know, but you're responding in the right way. I feel like, yeah, <laughs> I don't know how I'm responding with but. the shelter. <laughs> you're responding <laughs> to, to what you see and how people uh, do these things, to animals with your shelter, with a kind, cruelty free shelter. Yeah. I think that's yeah. huge. That's you're using your actions to speak out your words. So it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's why that's why we're talking. I think it's yeah. awesome. Right, Mick? We both That's right. Awesome. So so what kind of care do you offer, you know, to the animals? Like like what's a typical day at the shelter like? Like what kind of care do you uh, do? Yeah. So, you know, on a day that it's just me, like on a weekend, um I I so every other weekend I pick up like a truckload of produce. Um, and that, you know, is donated, um, but then like has to be put away and then doled out during the next couple of weeks. Um, I will make sure that we're stocked on feed and hay, um, do all of those kinds of errands to make sure the week can run without me here, um, during the day. And then, uh, I go around and I take care of everybody, you know, everybody gets fed, everybody gets new water, everybody gets sunscreen and, uh, oh, sunscreen. yeah, pigs burn in Florida. <laughs> so oh, wow. the pigs get sunscreen every day. Um, the big pigs anyway. That's crazy. And yeah. <laughs> do they um, like it? They do. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah they, do. they don't mind it. <laughs> That's good. I think um, they would, it would seem like it would be like a massage, you know? Yeah. Yeah. A pig massage. It's a nice bonding thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's cool. Um, and then, you know, some of them are on, on special diets, uh, and some of them have meds and some of them have injuries from various times, you know, like just animals don't have a lot of sense. Oh, wow. That's a lot to keep a track of. I didn't even think yeah. about all that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, you think about having a dog, right. And like maybe a couple of times in your dog's life, they're going to hurt themselves or they're going to eat something they shouldn't, or they're going to do whatever. And they're going to have to go to the vet and you're going to spend thousands of dollars and it's going to be ridiculous. Right. Yeah. And then you multiply that by like 85 and then you add in like Dang. all the different species. Right. <laughs> cause, cause yeah. not everybody gets the same kind of care, um, as the other guys. So 
it's really difficult. It's hard to take care of this many animals of different kinds for sure. And it's, it's nearly impossible to get vet care, um, for animals like this who, you know, typically a farm vet is going out to animal ag operations and those animals only live, you know, six months, nine months, and then they're slaughtered. So lifelong care is not something that normal vets know how to do for farm animals. That's um, crazy. Wow. So there are, you know, I have some on pain meds for arthritis and, you know, we have to, we have to make sure that, that everybody's like at an acceptable weight because it's hard to keep weight on older animals. And, um, it's just hard to get a vet to come out and care for this many animals. Um, so it's been really difficult for me because I'm the one who then has to do that care. You know, I'm vaccinating, I'm trimming hooves, I'm giving out meds, I'm doing all of it. And I'm not trained to do any of that. I'm just learning as I go and, and doing my best. Um, so it's really stressful. It's really, it's really difficult. And, and it wasn't always like that. You know, we had vets in the beginning who, who worked, um, pretty closely with us. And then, you know, that it's veterinarians are quitting and, and walking out in record numbers because that job is so stressful. (laughs) So a lot of people around here have retired. A lot of people have stopped. Like farm, farm vets are stressful. Um, any, any vets, vets have one of the highest rates of suicide in the, in the known professions. Yeah. Um, I'm it's learning a, so it's much tough, for real, a really tough job. Um, That's vets crazy. And, and vet techs are, you know, did I you mean, know that Mick? I did not know that. No, that's yeah, crazy. That's crazy. It's super high stress, you know, like people get really emotional about their animals and, and you see things that are pretty horrific um, in some cases and, and they just really, they work so hard and are, you know, maxed out. Um, and, uh, I, I appreciate the vets who come here so immensely. Um, but I know that it's really difficult for them to, to do this level of care, um, because they're just not trained to do that for farmed animals. Um, yeah. so wow. that's been a big struggle <laughs> for sure. That's crazy. Your, your life is just completely packed. Then you got basically two full-time jobs. Yeah, I do. Maybe even more. Yeah. Well, and I'm a mom. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That is most a definitely mom. a full-time uh, job. Yeah. So I you have three full-time my- jobs. <laughs> That's nuts. Some, sometimes my kid comes down and hangs out with me from, from his cave. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> he's almost 15. So, you know, he's, he's in that. Oh, in that, I know. Yeah. Myself in my room era kind of thing. So. Yep. Teenagers know everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, he's a good kid. <laughs> he's a really good kid. That's the that's the uh the age group I'm not looking forward to when my son turns <laughs> 14, 15, 16. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. I mean, honestly, you know, it's it's been the hardest thing for me. Um, because I was always like his person, you know, we, I stayed home with him for the first four years I worked at home so that I could be with him and 
then, uh, you know, he started school and I started teaching because I wanted to have the same schedule as him. So we were, you know, we were together all the time and, you know, he's, he kind of grew into that age where it's like, he doesn't really need me much at this point. Is that hard? It's incredibly hard. It's the hardest time as a mom that I've ever had (laughs) for sure. Um, it involves a lot of like, just stepping away from everything that feels comfortable, you know, and that's, that's difficult. Yeah. I love somebody for sure. <laughs> yeah. For so long you got that little buddy and then it's not really, yeah. I mean, it's still your little <laughs> buddy, like, but yeah. yeah. But it's like, get away from me, mom, dad. Yeah. You're <laughs> yeah. so lame. I hear that a lot. Oh, you're so man. Lame. <laughs> <laughs> Mick's not there yet, but close. I'm getting there. My daughter just turned 10. So yeah. you got to, couple years <laughs> yeah 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 yep man can i ask you this because we share the same thing um and this sort of hit me a little bit like in your story you shared and said that you have adhd um can you explain to people how this affects everyday life and what living with adhd looks like maybe you can explain it a little bit better than than i ever could <laughs> i don't know if i can explain it well um i i never knew uh, what was wrong with my brain? Um, until just a couple of years ago, really, I connected some of those dots and I was like, Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, I have, you know, it presents differently in females, uh, obviously. So for me, it has been an incredible fear of failure. It has been, I, I uh, overachieve to prove my worth and to avoid, you know, being abandoned, basically. And some of this is like my trauma as well. So it's all like mixed in. right? Um, And um, I have pretty heavy social anxiety and um, I have a running, you know, kind of negative self-talk track that just kind of works against me all day long, uh, every day of my life. Um, uh, I'm also really good at managing tasks and people because I have to try so hard to do it. Um, and I have always been really, you know, good at keeping 17 million things in my head that I know I have to do. And, and making sure everything gets taken care of. Obviously, like that's, I end up exhausting myself over and over and over again. Um, but yeah, it's um, just knowing about it, I think is helping me. Um, I've been reading a lot. And one of the things that that really hit me very hard was that people with ADHD don't have access to like the mundane rote task parts of their brain, right? So you can get up and have a cup of coffee and get ready for work and get out the door and not really think about any of the things you're doing, right? Like most normal people can can just start their day and not really be thinking about a whole lot of anything. Um, for me, I get up and 
my brain attaches rote task to the emotional centers. So what happens there is that your brain uses things like guilt and shame to motivate you to complete tasks. So I get up and I'm like, you oh, that's lazy. heavy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I get up and my, I'm like, you lazy jerk. You know, like you got out of bed three minutes late. So now you're not going to feed the dogs on time. You're not going to get out of the house on time. You're going to be late for work. Everyone's going to hate you. They're going to think you're chronically just uncaring about your job and you're going to get fired and then you're going to be homeless. And like, that's the running track, right? Because that's how your brain has to motivate you to get things done. And knowing that, like, (laughs) I was like, that's my problem. (laughs) You know, like, that sums up my life, right? there. (laughs) So you deal with that every day. Yeah. 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 No, like every second of every day, there's, there's never rest because your brain is constantly making you feel guilty about all the things that are on your list. Right. I I wonder if I'm, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Your list exists in the back of your head, right? All the things you have to get done. And when you're like me and you have like, 17 billion things that have to get done. Um, you can't just sit down and relax. You know what I mean? Like, you, is it hard for you to delegate it to other people? Um, no, I think if I had people that I could trust to do things, then I could delegate to them all day long. Um, okay. my, my one caregiver, like, so it's not I a tr- control thing. No, it's not control. It's just that you know, so of course, sometimes it's easier for me to do everything myself. And sometimes it's easier for me to just get through it. Um, I separately have never been the kind of person who really will ask for help, because then I think that that makes me a burden and invalid and able to be left behind. Right. (laughs) Oh, man, the trauma. Um, So I tend not to ask for help. Um, but if the help is there and the help is capable, then yeah, I can delegate all day long. So the Um, trauma adds a little bit more extra to the actual ADHD. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. My, uh, my abandonment trauma is pretty heavy. So, (laughs) um, so I, I have to fight that too, but, um, you know, I think that, just knowing a little bit more about the way that my brain works um, makes me feel a little bit better because I was always told that I was crazy um, because hyper emotionality is a big part of being a woman with ADHD and, um, and that, level of emotion. You know, I feel like I feel on a different level than a lot of people feel. So whether it's like deep happiness or deep sadness, it it is very deep. Um and and I sometimes don't relate to other people because I don't understand the way they're experiencing the world because it doesn't seem like it's the same um as, as my experience. So I I often have trouble with, um, interpersonal relationships and like maintaining. Trust me, everybody does. 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, do they though? I mean, I see these people who like know. have maybe it's just people with ADHD with like I, us. I, I think it is. I think it is. Um, you know, I just I I don't understand like how how you do that, like how you have a million friends that want to talk to you all the time every day. Like I don't yeah. I don't know how to be that person. Um, and so it can make you feel really isolated for sure. Um, just to feel different in that. I, I've no, if you, is it cool if I speak on my behalf from of it? Of course. Like, please. I think so. It's weird because I'm like, Mick has to navigate me a lot. Cause my brain goes at a thousand miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Like he can attest to that. Like he'll get like <laughs> messages. And if he doesn't check it for like an hour, maybe like, all of them will conflict each other and be like, never mind. No, let's do this. Let's do this. Like my brain will just <laughs> keep going. And if I don't get it out onto something, it's like, Oh, I'm going to forget. Or it's not there. Uh-huh. Like we have, we've talked about this before, but we have this hockey group and I'll like, it's sort of, you said about your emotions. I'm sort of the same way in, in a way, um, because I I'll be watching this hockey game and I'll go through a valley of emotions and I'll just be texting like, Oh shit. Oh fuck. Oh, they score. Yeah. Like I'll be like doing a play by play in text and they're like what are you doing (laughs) it's just how my brain works you know um but you said trauma plays in it and growing up like we couldn't talk about emotions or how we felt and stuff like that so I'm even like super shut off to that today with certain people with people I'm really close to it's weird Mm -hmm. so when you said like your trauma plays differently in your ADHD I was like that's interesting so thanks for sharing that of course like our traumas shape us, our traumas change our DNA, our traumas yeah. are, are, you know, a part of us. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think, I think for guys with ADHD, a lot of it is the, you know, hyper mental stimulation. It's the, the attention issues and things like that for females yes. internally versus the external where you're like texting a hundred times a day. Um, it, for us, it's inside. Um, and it's, it's really like torturing ourselves, <laughs> which is, yeah. Which so it's complete. So it's almost terrible. opposite of each other. Yeah, it it is almost. Okay. So we do it externally and, and women do it internally. That's, that's cool. I mean, it's that's not cool, tendency. but it's crazy. I mean, there's, you know, there's different kinds of ADHD. So like, yeah, sure. obviously some of us have it manifest in different ways, but that, that seems to be like the general tendency that I've, I've read about is like, we take it all in, you guys put it all out. And so you're the kids who are hyperactive and then we're the ones who are really quiet and get our work done and don't make waves and don't get noticed. So like, of course I didn't get diagnosed. I got really good grades. I was quiet. I was compliant. Um, I worked extra hard and that was because you know I had to compensate and I had yeah. to I had to do things differently and and make my own pathways to to cope um I didn't know that that's crazy yeah I think that happens for a lot of girls especially mm-hmm. is that it typically will manifest in like anxiety disorders because you know that's the part that people see is like our hyper emotions um versus like the attention issues. Mm-hmm. I had, t- I still have attention issues, but it gets better as I get older. <laughs> yeah. I Mick mean, you, that. you learn how to cope, you know, you yeah. make workarounds and you figure it out. Yeah. I just need to really figure out how to like not shut down when 
super important issues happen. Like, I don't yeah. know how to navigate that. It sucks. And I'm 42 yeah. and I'm like, when am I going to learn? You know? Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and Mick over here is a therapist and is like the most super chill dude I've ever met. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> well, come on. Mick's a good guy to have in your corner yeah. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Mick, throw that question at her. Uh, so like how can, um, so, you know, folks listening and hearing your story about the the shelter and everything, how, how can they help? Like, how can they like partner with you and, and connect and, you know, help out with some of the stuff that you guys got going on talking about going and getting a whole truckload full of food and bringing it in. Like mm-hmm. how, what can they do to help? Obviously the, the needs here are constantly financial. Um, donations are covering 100% of expenses because my salary can't cover any of it. (laughs) Um, uh, so, you know, I, if, if people are able to donate or even like to run fundraisers, a lot of people will, you know, auction, uh, bands will auction off a a a record or, um, a t-shirt or, you know, something that, that is desirable in the merch collector world, um, and donate those proceeds or run a, you know, a specific shirt, you know, for a week or two and, and donate that, um, that's always appreciated. And that's one of the ways that, you know, like hardcore and straight edge show up for me is like, they, they consistently run things like that, that, you know, help me cover expenses that are, that are daily and, and gigantic. so that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. uh, Yeah. And, and that's like, that's part of it for me is like my gratitude is always there for those scenes, even though my relationship with it is complicated. Um, I, you know, I, I am always very humbled when anyone is kind to me, but when, you know, those guys, come out of the woodwork and, or you, you know, you've, uh, reached out several times over the years and, and been a, a supporter for a long time. So, you know, it's just when you see people's names in the donation boxes coming through over and over, it's, it's really, it means a lot because it's, it's hard times when it comes to fundraising, um, a lot oh, of yeah, great sure. opportunities are not there anymore um, after COVID and after. Yeah. And people are know, struggling with inflation. Just the financial, yeah. The financial crisis and, and stuff like that. It's, it's been really bare bones um, and, and it doesn't stop here. You know what I mean? Like I, I have to fix fences. I have to feed everybody. I have to vet them. Um, I'm still cleaning up from the hurricane. Uh we, I, I was in Hurricane Ian for, it was like over 10 hours of 100 plus mile an hour winds oh um, and flooding rain. That was insane. And there was a lot of damage to the property. All the animals were miraculously okay. And we were okay. But um, it, it's been super traumatic to like try and recover from all of that. And um, so yeah, any, um, any financial support is always the number one thing. Um, 
I'm in the middle of nowhere. So I used to have a pretty solid crew of volunteers who would come out and, you know, just help me clean and, and do some things for the animals and little small construction projects and stuff like that. Um, my, most of my core group has moved away or, um, just, uh, moved on to other things. And so it's, it's pretty lonely around here right now. Um, I, sometimes I need help with like construction type things. Um, anything that I don't have to pay someone else to do, you know, obviously is, is diverting funds to the animals. So, um, even things like cutting grass and, you know, trimming trees and, and building little animal shelters and things like like that, like any of that stuff that people want to help with is always welcome. Um, and yeah, just, you know, if somebody could go and get the produce for me, that would save me an hour, you know, <laughs> it's like stuff like that. Um, but I am, I, you know, I'm really far away from like everything. So people have to drive an hour to get here and, um, and it's a, it's a commitment, you know, like I, I really, would love to have people who come regularly. It's hard when people want to come one time because then I have to like kind of train them and get the work done. And it doesn't always work in that amount of time. So, um, it's, it's hard if I can't get people to commit to more than, you know, like just the one day. Um, so yeah, uh, mostly it's money, you know, any, any organization like this, like there's no, there's no return on keeping these animals alive, right? Like I'm not selling them at the end and, and making the money back that I spent on their care. Like they just exist. <laughs> and so, you know, the, the model itself is unsustainable if there is not financial support. Mm -hmm. So hard. <laughs> Isn't that a bummer? It's such a bummer. <laughs> well, it's so great what you're doing, but I honestly didn't realize how incredibly stinking hard it is. Yeah. It just sounds so hard. Like this is your life. Like, yeah, you're. Oh um, man, I'll I'll be completely honest and tell you that I would never ever ever have taken this on knowing that I would be doing it alone ever. <laughs> but now um, you feel the need to keep it going alone because, because you I, made promises, you yeah. I made promises to the animals. Yeah. And, and it, it isn't for me, it's for them. And selflessness comes at a price. And I'm kind of just going until I literally cannot. Yeah. It seems like it would be hard, um, on every single relationship in your life. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, I don't get to spend enough time with my son. I don't have the time and bandwidth to have any kind of like romantic relationship. <laughs> um, I don't, yeah, I don't have time for friendships. Yeah. That'd be like your fourth job. Yeah. Yeah. I, I very rarely get to see anyone, you know, I, even if I have 
a couple hours to like drive somewhere, spend some time with friends and then drive back. Like that's also exhausting because then I'm driving and, and yeah, I'm sure. hanging out socially. And then, you know, I'm just even yeah. more tired. <laughs> and with so. your anxiety, you're probably masking yeah. it a lot, right? Yes, for sure. That's exhausting. I have my mask on yeah. <laughs> my, all the time. My wife and I both struggle with uh, social anxiety pretty hard. That's what really drew us together. Like we're like, yeah. oh, that, and we both hate the beach. So <laughs> that was cool. <laughs> but like, because I've been in relationships where the other person is like s- super social in any situation, and it's just they they. They're like, my friends think you're a jerk. And I'm like, I just can't deal with it. I can't yeah. handle it, you know? Yeah. And I'm yeah, like super I, outgoing with people I know, but people I don't know, I can't yeah. do it. I've, I've gone through that uh, for a long, long time. Been the one that, you know, was, it, it would take me a week to like clean the house if I knew somebody was coming. Um and then when they were there, I would be on edge and feeling judged and, you know, like all the things about <laughs> welcoming yeah. people. That sounds like home. my wife. It's like, it's hard. And so for, you know, to be in a relationship with anybody that's like very social and has a lot of friends, it's like, you just constantly feel like a disappointment because yep. you, you literally cannot make your brain function in any other way. You know? Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's tough it, to be in that dynamic for sure. Mick, ask a question that I'm interested in hearing the answer to. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what's the future look like, uh, for the, oh, yeah. for the sanctuary? <laughs> you sort of answered it, right? You're just going until you can't anymore, but <laughs> uh-huh, yeah, that's, that's kind of where I'm living. Um, uh, yeah, honestly, I don't know. I, I'm in a weird place where I, I want something in my life to be for me and, um, I'm struggling to find balance and I'm struggling with working two jobs and I'm struggling with a lot of things. So, um, again, it comes down to support and donations. Um, I would love to just do this job and just work with the animals and just focus on outreach and um, welcoming people into the sanctuary to be with the animals. And I, I would love to only do that. The problem is that I have to pay for this place. And yeah. so I would have to have the ability to support us all from donations and currently yeah, that can be I, exhausting also right if yeah, that's the only because, way that's coming in yeah because then i'm i'm constantly fundraising and constantly worrying about you know if i'm not working another job and and the money stops coming then where am i yeah. um so i've i've been wrestling that you know for a long time and hoping that money would come, you know, I'm just hoping that that one big donor, you know, will see me someday and be like, this is the one I'm going to support. And here's, you know, a hundred grand for the year. And 
that plus your other donations should should take care of you, you right. know, and and it, that hasn't come yet. <laughs> um, and so I'm begging for five dollars and twenty dollars, and you know, just trying to cobble it all together. And um, yeah. So I don't know what it looks like. I I want to. I want to give them the life that I promised them. I don't want them to go anywhere else. I don't want them to be unsafe. Um, but I don't know how to how to actually keep it going for that long. I don't know how to do it. Um, so <laughs> I don't know. I guess the future is I just keep doing my best. I guess that's. Well, That's I love I, your, your honesty about it. That, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. so like in the social media world, like so many people just put on their best face and show you mm-hmm. all the good and everything that they're accomplishing. But uh, that's just yeah. part of life. That's not all of life, you know? So sometimes it's good to hear people like yourself just be like, look, I'm downright struggling. I need help because there's a lot of us out there that feel the same way, yeah. you know? Yeah. And sometimes we don't notice that because all we see is smiles and yeah, you know, and I do, I, I, I think that I, I'm a little more honest than a lot of sanctuaries. <laughs> um, and a lot of sanctuaries have a lot more support than I do. Um, uh, but I think I'm pretty, uh, a lot of people tell me that they enjoy the social media because I tell the truth about it. Um, because I, I show them how difficult the decisions are about, you know, I had to, I had to let go of, of two of my cows, um, fairly recently because they were both struggling with mobility issues and, and pain. And, um, the, the decision to do that is enormous and crushing. Yeah, I'm sure. And so, you know, I want people to see that, like, it's not just happy animals. It's like, it's animals that also struggle and, and giving them choices and, and listening to them is also, you know, a really difficult part. Um, and, and just the money, you know, I try to, I try to be honest about, about how far we can get on on the donations that are coming in and, and what we need. And, um, yeah, all of it, like building a picnic table by myself is, is hard. And I, you know, I try to tell people like the hard things because I think it's important to see that there are people who love animals in a way where they're willing to do hard things for them as individuals um, and to help them exist. And, you know, it's not the sanctuary right now is not the way I wanted it to be, but um, the animals are really happy and, you know, they, they love their lives and they exist in a, in a safe bubble. And that's the point, right? Because it has to be, people have to see that, you know, sanctuaries are a viable uh, method for change 
Um, they have to see that people are changing their minds because of what they see in sanctuary. You know, they, they recognize that pigs are the same as their dog because they see them play with the ball and get silly and run around. Yeah. Um, yeah. Has discovery done a show on sanctuaries yet? We should reach out to them. Nick. So. <laughs> <laughs> so. Hey, we got a pitch for you guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It would be an interesting, I mean, Barn Sanctuary had a show for a while. Dave or Dan McKerna had a, had a show on one of the animal planet or something for a while. Um, but yeah, it's, um, I, it, like you said, I don't think a lot of people realize how difficult it is to do no, this I work. I didn't clearly. Yeah. And so I guess the message for, for me on social media is like, Hey, this is hot. Can you please help me? Because I think it's worthwhile, you know? Yeah. It, I mean, except the more we talk about it, I'm like, oh my gosh, could I do that? That sounds extremely hard. <laughs> and work a full-time job? I don't know. Yeah. That sounds exhausting. That sounds like yeah. something you could do for a weekend and then be like, I did it, you know? Uh-huh. But yeah. for what, you're doing it two years on your own right now, but how long did you do it before with your ex-husband? It started in 2019, April okay. of 2019. So it's been four and a half years. Yeah. Wow. It's a long time. Yeah. Dang. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, there are days that I, I physically work so hard that I just like fall on the couch and can't move. Um, and there are days where I emotionally... I'm so toasted that I can't even form sentences. Um, It's, it's all encompassing this work. And hopefully this makes people think about their lives. (laughs) Yeah. And is your life actually that hard? I don't know. Is it? (laughs) Mine isn't. (laughs) That's crazy. I thought my life was a little bit complicated, but that's. Yeah, it's the the ADHD helps me keep track of all the things. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like when you're talking about like doing all the pills and the shots and all the different Mm -hmm. diets and stuff. I'm like, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. You got to have a log for that. Like you got to, I'm sure after a while you memorize it, but it's like, just seems insane. Yeah. That's crazy. Well, (laughs) on a lighter note, if you're into coffee, what is your favorite coffee spot and favorite types of coffee? Mick and I have to ask because we're the Coffee and Hardcore podcast. Right. (laughs) So I I actually was a professional barista in my college days. (laughs) Um, I used to be really into coffee. I don't know. It was uh, it was a local place in Lexington. You know, it was like a it was a a coffee house that was there. It's still there. Um, It's been there for decades, and uh, I. I was, you know, in art school and angsty and a barista. So that was like <laughs> my thing for a while. Um, Those go together. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was a whole package kind of deal. Um, so I, I have great respect for coffee. And now that I, <laughs> that I'm, this is so embarrassing. Now that I'm like, exhausted all the time um i get up at 5 30 and uh i i drink 
instant Cafe Bustello. Oh, no. <laughs> like, in the consistency of tar. Nice. <laughs> That'll grow hair on your knuckles. <laughs> Just so I can function and get through the day. <laughs> oh, man. I'm um, sorry. I apologize. For, for <laughs> hey, I mean, Bustello is not bad, but the instant, woo. Yeah. I don't know about all Listen, that. Listen, I, I, there's, there's been times when they, sometimes they come in like, you can get them in sticks, like the, yeah. you just rip them and stick them in there and mix it up. I, no, there's no shame in that. I've done that plenty of times. <laughs> I know there's no uh, shame, it's, but I'm, it's just brutal. Well, it's also like, I, you know, I'm, 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 I only need a cup. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to brew. I don't know what you mean, but I'll shake well. my head. <laughs> we drink like a pot a day. Time. Yeah, I only have time for one cup before I leave the house. So, you know, it's like, Makes sense. I, I, I can't like sit around and enjoy the pot. You know, if I could, I would just brew something and, and be happy. But yeah. um, it's necessity for me. And and as far as like going out to the coffee places, that's <laughs> absurd. Um, yeah, we don't really do I that a ton. Uh, it's expensive. Yeah. Yeah, there is a, a place called Project Coffee in Sarasota that has a lot of vegan options that I've been to a couple of times and appreciated um, um, as a, a You know what I think we should try to do, Mick? What's that? We should try to reach out to Jacob. So Jacob sponsors this podcast. He's he's a vegan. He runs Oak and Crow Coffee in New York. And he works with like bigger hardcore bands like Agnostic Front and Madball and stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, he did a suicide prevention coffee for the podcast. So $5 of each bag goes to suicide prevention. And then he also did for coffee and hardcore. um, We do up the pups. We've done two of Mm -hmm. them and it it raises money for the shelter dogs. No kill shelter. We should, if you're into it, talk to him and see if he'd be into doing a coffee for you. Absolutely. Yeah. That'd be really cool. Those types of fundraisers are really what keep me going because I, you know, my monthly donations don't cover my monthly expenses. So it's the extra stuff that, you know, people run that really keep me in, in the, in the red or the black instead of the red. So yeah. Yeah. Let's, we'll bring it up to them. Yeah, totally. We should. Thank you. Um, All you'll have to do is just come up with like what you want the front to look like, you know, like what you want the label okay. to say. We'll talk about all that off. No one needs to know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's all good. It's all good. All right. Um, any other farms, bands, coffee shops, artists that you'd like to plug? Now is your time. This is your time. Oof. I don't know. Um, I, I always feel weird doing this because I then I'm going to like forget people. and Always happens. And yeah. Make somebody mad or, you know. <laughs> um. I will say that, like, I will shout out every single person who has given a dollar. Um, I, I don't have time physically to write thank you letters and to um, correspond with donors very often. And so I, I, I tend to post pretty often about how much I appreciate the support that I get but I, I don't always have the time to do that individually, which it, it really, it hurts me to not be able to say thank you to each and every single person. Um, so yeah, I will certainly shout out everybody who has supported shelter over the years and who has made the work possible. 
um, because I wish I had all the time to write you a note and send you stickers and and give you my. I'm sure they know gratitude. that. Yeah, <laughs> I wish I had it um, for yeah. sure. So that's my shout out. <laughs> Mick, do the do one of my favorite questions, the closeout question. All right. Let's hope is, she's got something for us here. Yeah, this, this is always <laughs> this is always our last one. So, uh, what is your guilty pleasure? What is it that you know the TV? It could be a TV show, a book, or music. Anything that like that I don't want people to know about. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> or, like everybody always says, yeah. "Yo, I don't have one. I don't have." I'm like, "Yeah, you do." Like, what is it? If people knew you listened to or watched or or read, it, it would be embarrassing. <laughs> um, I love this question, uh, by the way. Yeah, this is. I I was trying to, you know, you guys sent me the questions. I was trying to like think of something that would, you know, be really good because, like, I like a lot of nerdy stuff. Like, I'm not, I'm not cool <laughs> by any means. Nothing I'm, wrong with nerdy stuff. Yeah, I'm not a cool person at all. <laughs> um, so you know, I uh. I I have this weird tendency to watch the same shows over and over and over um and and kind of listen to the same music that I've listened to for 30 years and um it, it's hard for me to branch out to new things um so I I think my 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 safe space with television is criminal minds interesting <laughs> um, yeah I don't, I don't know. I mean, I've never seen how nerdy that is, but like criminal minds is my show and I will watch it to go to sleep. You know, like people are getting sliced up and murdered and and I'm like, Oh, (laughs) so peaceful. (laughs) Um, That's, I don't know. That's it. It speaks to me in ways that I can't really um, fully understand, but I, I love criminal minds. And before that, it was Law and Order, uh, SBU. Um, you know, those are those are my two long-standing favorites um, in terms of television. And they've both been around for a while, right? They have for a long yeah. time, yeah. Yeah. And I, I haven't seen. I don't think I've like actually seen a full episode on purpose of either one of those shows. Oh my gosh, you're missing out. It's, my wife likes <laughs> crime shows like that, you. but. Yeah, I feel a little sad. It just bums me out. It's yeah, it's a bummer. (laughs) I don't know. All I got to say is it was a pleasure. I'm so happy you did this. I we're gonna so when this drops, we're gonna put the link to help donate. Um, I'm gonna make it my mission to talk to Jacob probably tomorrow and get in touch with you about the coffee end of it. Um, he'll probably send you some uh, little bags of coffee to try to see which ones you like the best. I'm sure he'll take it on. He's such a good dude. He's a vegan. He loves that cause. He works for a vegan deli and he runs a vegan coffee shop. Like dudes, awesome. legit. Awesome. Yeah. We love him. We love him to death. Yeah. Thanks. So Thanks. we appreciate you so much and sharing your story. Thanks for having me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it was good. Cool. All right. Well, um, you don't listen to hardcore, but you listen to nineties rap. What nineties <laughs> rap song do you want us to play to take us out of this segment? Ooh, um, yeah. Maybe like Liquid Swords, the the Jizza. Okay. Swords, something in there, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so, let's do it. You down for that, Mick? 
sure. dating 90s hip hop. Right. <laughs> Wu Tang Financial, we out. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Yo, Cosme with Wolf Pitzer here. Just want to start off by thanking y'all for having us on your show. We appreciate it a lot. Wolf Pitzer is a band that formed in 2017 in the northern Colorado area. Uh, we call Fort Collins our home base. Um... I would say that open-eyed paralysis, along with the rest of the songs on the record that we just released, are really just about overcoming the burden of pain and anger and hate um, and really trying to make something good come out of all of that. So we appreciate y'all listening, and uh, we hope y'all dig the tunes. Mad love. Peace.
All right. So for the first time in four seasons, we actually segued with a 90s hip hop song. So how about that? It's true. <laughs> no, it's all good. We this have done a was... hip hop song, though. We did uh, Kool-Aid Man and oh, that's right. Little John. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that if it was the, the same, though. <laughs> no, it's not the same. Uh, Definitely not the same. But don't forget about Little John and Kool-Aid Man. Oh, no. No, no, no. So what an episode, man. Like that was really, I was, it was heavy at some points. So it was, but in a good way, a good way. So heavy. And like I said, I, and I don't want to make it about me, but I like to share my experiences. And I like when other, when you do also, because then you can see it from different people's perspectives right. and, and point of views and eyes. And like, it was just, it's just weird. It's my wife knows this about me. Like it's hard for me to hear people who are doing so well and working so hard and just getting like kicked down by life. Like life kicks us all down. People, people suck. Right. And we, and especially here in the city in Chicago, like, well, especially everywhere now, but like since, since COVID people are just so nasty to each other. And it's like, we're just making each other's lives so much harder in a life that's already extremely frustrating and extremely hard. Uh, so it it was good to hear her story and to see where she's coming from and how hard of a worker she really is. She she yeah. honestly, and I know I brought up my wife a bunch. She reminds me of my wife. Like my wife is a very hard worker. She struggles with the same things. Like she might not want me talking about that, but um, I won't go into detail about it. But um, she she is such a good person and cares so much about people in the world. Is just like beating everybody down right now and it's making good people frustrated and yeah like cranky and ornery and like well fuck you you know right and wanting to quit and yeah so it's my brain doesn't work that way because of how i'm wired i just shut off i don't think about like the really important things that i probably should think about my when like huge important things like this happen i just go okay how do we get through the day you know, that's how I was right. wired. And I don't know. I don't think that's good. <laughs> I'm not saying that's a good quality. Right. But it's a true quality since we're on the honest train here, you know. Right. So how did it make how did it make you feel about all this? Like, I'm interested. In what uh, you have to no, say. no, it was good. At You know, of course, like going through the social media of the farm and everything like, you know, you see real life situations and real things in your face like. You know, a couple of the animals, you're like, dang, you know, like if she didn't have them and take care of them, they wouldn't, you know, they'd have been long gone. Yes, for sure. Yeah. And and I know not everyone. Here's the thing. I know this is like a super sensitive subject. I know I don't even have to say that. Um, And I know like everyone does not feel the same way. And um, it's different. Like she said, it's different for everyone. It's some people's livelihoods, that industry. and it's just hard because we don't want to villainize those people either um, because people are just people. We're literally, we're all just trying to get by. Right. You know, and it's tough. Like I know some vegans will probably reach out and be like, well, fuck you, dude. Like killing is killing. Like I get it. I get it. But I also get that we're all people. And sometimes it's the only thing that we have that's passed down to us from generations. And it's just tough. Life is tough. Life is not super black and white. It's tough. No. It's not one, two, three. It's not black and white. So, yeah, we got to meet people where they're at. Like, yeah. And I'm saying that for myself because I definitely don't do that enough. 
because hashtag fuck Florida, right? Right, exactly right. <laughs> uh, uh, you can tell I'm loosened up now. Yeah. Oh, uh, so so uh, guess what I'm going to do? Like by the know. time that the, by the time this episode comes out, it'll already have happened. But I'm oh. excited, so oh. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna share it. Uh, I I Lindsay and I are going to go see our good friends in Butter Truth this weekend. <laughs> You said butter truth at first. I, I did. Like, what? Yeah, but, and then it yeah, clicked. Butter it clicked. Truth. It That's crazy. Where are they yeah, playing? Yeah, yeah, They're playing in Columbus at the Dirty Dungarees. Oh, yeah. You were telling me about that place. Yeah, which is a uh, laundromat, bar, and venue all wrapped in one. That's really cool. You got <laughs> You got to get them to do a, sh- a shout out. <laughs> You got to get them to do that. I mean, that's crazy. A laundromat right. and a bar, right. <laughs> but you got to give them all you need to do is like a gym now. So right. people can work out and drink so and the laundry. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> you should have them do a little shout out on the record on your phone for the podcast. Yeah. I'll see what I can do. Yeah. We get like somebody to do something. We like those guys. Yeah. Yeah. So that'll be a good it, show. And I, it's in a, it's in a spot where, um, the, my good friend a former guitar player Roy Gowdy, his son Dean, like that's his whole scene. Oh yeah. And that he's a part of and his band Sawmill's been playing there a lot. Oh so yeah, I'm we hoping, talked about them. Yeah, I'm hoping to cross paths with him while we're up there. It's, it's all cool. We haven't been to a show for a long time. And uh so yeah, it's gonna be cool. Tell Sawmill we want to get one of their tracks on the podcast. Yes, need to. Have so, to. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Mick, take us out of here. All right, here we go. Ah!